The Creep Show Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Creep Show Chronicles, the podcast where we discuss murder, the macabre, and all the spooky shit. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Now grab your weed, your wine, or some coffee, and let's get creepy. Everybody's doing good. I hope everybody had a good Halloween last yeah. week. Getting ready for to stuff. Well, if you're in America, getting ready to stuff your faces with turkey. Getting ready to get into the holiday spirit now. We'll just probably have lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I call it Thanksgiving, but you know, for yeah. some. <laughs> I call it Thanksgiving. Call yeah, it right. <laughs> There like, was no giving whatsoever. Oh no, I don't support the um, the, uh, the 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 takey. I don't support the pilgrims, but I do support no. turkey. <laughs> I mean, turkey is pretty delicious. I support the food. <laughs> like I just want turkey covered in gravy. Mm-hmm. Mm, everything in gravy. <sighs> my headline is uh, my prompt for the headline is a little ditty about a parrot and a kangaroo. Two kids growing up in the American heartland. No. Um, so the headline is, Kangaroo ran loose in Baton Rouge area after parrot set it free. Owners will have to give it up. <laughs> wow. Baxter the kangaroo is safe after he spent a day running loose in East Baton Rouge, but law enforcement says the marsupial will need to find a new home after the escape. Officials with East Baton Rouge Animal Control told WBRZ on Friday that the Baxter's uh, that Baxter's owners, who previously owned a zoo and now operate a nonprofit, will have to give him up since it's illegal to keep a kangaroo as a pet in the parish. Well, yeah, any kind of wild animal, shit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. People like keeping fucking tigers and shit. No, mm-hmm. Exo- exotic animals, pet. You can't have any that are non-native to the United States. Any animal not native to the United States, anything venomous, you cannot have in East Baton Rouge Parish. Daniel Payette-Cowed, whatever, we're just going to say Daniel, Director of Animal Control and Rescue Center, said. There are exceptions to the ordinance, including education... What? Payakiewicz? Sure, whatever. There are exceptions to the ordinance, including educational purposes, zoos, and circuses. No. No circuses. Um, I've seen a permit issued in the parish, and I don't think we'll start now. I don't think we need to open that door. Daniel said. The owners have a week to find Baxter a new home or they face fines. We can charge them, we can give them a misdemeanor sum, or uh, we can get them a temporary restraining order from a court and take the route through the court system, Daniel said. Baxter's owners tell WBRZ they have been trying to get a permit and will continue to do so so that they can keep Baxter. People who spotted the Joey hopping around along highways in Zachary said they were in disbelief. We saw it, and we were very shocked, Brandon Nelson said. Braden, sorry, Braden Nelson said. Braden and Ethan Nelson were driving down Port Hudson Pride Road around late Wednesday morning when they noticed something raced by in a drainage ditch. He said, there's a kangaroo on the side of the road. I was like, what are you talking about? I turned around, and sure enough, there was a kangaroo, Ethan said. The brothers say they first thought it was a dog until they realized it only had two legs. He was hopping fast, just hopping in the ditch. He was gone within 30 seconds, Braden said. Where did the kangaroo come from? Not too far from where they spotted him. 
Baxter lives with more than a dozen parrots being taken care of by the owners of a nonprofit specializing in releasing wild birds into their natural habitats called Bird Recovery International. The owners say Baxter's bird brother, Thor, recently figured out how to open the door to the enclosure. What was Thor's response to the allegation? Birds don't talk. Baxter was spotted by law enforcement hours after Thor released him. An East Baton Rouge Sheriff's deputy was able to draw him close with peanut butter until the owners picked him up near uh, Maccus Road. His owners are be- uh, beyond thankful Baxter is safe. They went into a panic as soon as they realized he was missing. Everyone else is still in shock over what they saw. I slowed down. There was no one else on the road. We just watched it for a little while until it went into the woods, Braden said. While you can buy a kangaroo from a breeder here in Louisiana, Wildlife and Fisheries says it is illegal to keep an exotic animal as a pet here. Each Paris is different. Um, but I love that if that's what Thor said, the bird, birds don't talk. Like, I ain't no, I ain't no snitch. <laughs> birds don't talk. <laughs> snitch, that's hilarious. I just love that, like, Dr. Doolittle shit. <laughs> So today we are talking about the story behind The Conjuring. Um, of course, The Conjuring is the first movie in the The Conjuring series about Ed and Lorraine Warren and some of their stories. Take Ed and Lorraine Warren with a grain of salt. Yeah. I know I do, but um, I still love the movies. I still love their Oh story. yeah, they're a good watch. Mm-hmm. Good jump scares. I like me some jump scares. Oh yeah. So, James Wan knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing, bud. Mm-hmm. Die down. Shit. So, when The Conjuring was released in 2013, it was met with critical acclaim. Critics everywhere praised it for its all-too-realistic portrayal, portrayal of the demonic haunting of an innocent family in Rhode Island. Most viewers assumed the movie was nothing but the wild imaginations of director James Wan. However, the true story of The Conjuring is actually rooted in a horrifying true experience of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed Warren was a uh, World War II veteran and a former police officer who became a self-professed demonologist after studying the subject on his own. His wife, Lorraine, claimed to be a clairvoyant and medium who was capable of communicating with the demons that Ed discovered. In 1952, Ed and Lorraine Warren founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They quickly gained notoriety as respected paranormal investigators after their initial investigation of the Amityville hauntings. I will say that Ed Patrick Wilson does not look like Ed, but uh, Vera Farmiga looks so much like Lorraine. Yeah. Like a younger version. Of her. Yeah. So their two most famous cases, however, were heavily <laughs> Their two most famous cases, however, were heavily popularized by The Conjuring franchise, a series of movies that focuses on Ed and Lorraine's experiences exercising demons from two possessed families. Though the movies seem overdramatized and impossible to believe, the Warrens maintain that all of the events depicted actually transpired. Though Ed died in 2006, Lorraine was a consultant on the film and claims that she didn't let the directors take any more dramatic license than was necessary. Nevertheless, the true story of The Conjuring remains almost unbelievably chilling to this day. Now, if you want to learn about the other family, we did cover them way early on in the podcast. I think it was like episode three or something, The Enfield Haunting. Um, We did already cover them. So 
This, uh, the true story of The Conjuring begins with the first film in the franchise, which focuses on the Perrin family. So in January 1971, the Perrin family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, where Carolyn, Roger, and their five daughters began to notice strange things happening almost immediately after they moved in. It started small. Carolyn would notice the broom went missing or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettles in the kitchen when no one was there. She'd find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. That would piss me off. Uh-huh. I just cleaned this goddamn floor. Man, it's like, it sounds like me, like, being at work every... I'm like, Dad, I just cleaned this shit, man. Uh-huh. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> the girls began to notice spirits around the house, though, for the most part, <laughs> they were harmless. There were a few, however, that were angry. Carolyn alleges researched... Carolyn, wow, Carolyn allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had all died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Several of the children had drowned in a nearby creek. One was murdered and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic. The spirit was depicted in the film as Bathsheba, one of the worst of them all. Quote, whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position, said Andrea Perrin, the oldest of the five girls. Now, it's crazy. We're recording multiple episodes today, and Ashley just recorded a story about a witch who had a lot of wrong things said about her. And in this, we have a lady who, kind of witchy. All right. Hmm. So, um, the oldest of them. <clears throat> It turns out there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the parents' property in the mid-1800s. She was rumored to have been a Satanist, so am I, so fuck yourself, and there was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child, though no trial ever took place. She was buried in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. The parents believed it was Bathsheba's spirit that was tormenting them. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to rise off the floor. She claims her father would enter the basement and would feel a cold, stinking, stinking presence behind him. They often stayed away from the dirt floor cellar, but the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, causing Roger to venture down. And I included um, Bathsheba's tombstone. So there is no hard evidence to support that Bathsheba Sherman was really a witch, only legend in local folklore. Bathsheba Sherman died as an old woman on May 25, 1885, roughly four years after her husband, Judson Sherman's death in 1881. Bathsheba lived to see her son, her, uh, her son Herbert, a farmer like his father, marry his fiancée, Anna, in 1881. Various articles, various articles online will have you believe that her body, quote, literally turned to stone when she died, or that Bathsheba died from a bizarre form of paralysis that puzzled and frightened doctors. Their basis is never more than legend and local folklore or internet rumors, and these same articles often state that Bathsheba had four children, all of whom died before reaching the age of four. However, U.S. government census records contradict this since we know that Bathsheba had a son, Herbert, who lived a long life as a farmer and had a family of his own. 
As for her three other children, we could only find an unofficial record of their existence on a public internet family tree that it lists their names as Julia, born 1845, Edward, born 1847, and George, born 1853. It is possible that they died before their next census was conducted, and that is from Ancestry.com. So, over the 10 years that the family lived in the house, the Warrens made multiple trips to investigate. At one point, Lorraine conducted a seance to attempt to contact the spirits that were possessing the family. During the seance, Carolyn Perrin became possessed, speaking in tongues, and rising from the ground in her chair. Andrea claims to have secretly witnessed the seance. Quote, I thought I was going to pass out, Andrea said. My mother began to speak a language not in this world or in a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room, end quote. Though the movie version of events culminates with Ed performing an exorcism rather than a seance, Lorraine insists that she and her husband would never attempt one, as they must be performed by Catholic priests. After the seance, Roger kicked the Warrens out, worried about his wife's mental st uh, stability. According to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980, which point, uh, sorry, at which point the spirits were silenced and the haunting ceased. Daughter Andrea, author of House of Darkness, House of Light, addressed this question in an interview. Quote, everyone who has lived in the house that we know of has experienced this. Some have left screaming and running for their lives. The man who moved in to begin uh, the restoration of the house when we sold it left screaming without his car, without his tools, and without his clothing. He never went back to the house, and consequently, people who owned it, the adjacent landowner, landowners, never moved in and sat vacant for years. And that is TalapoozaJournal.com. The current owner, Norma Setcliffe, uh, stated that she and her husband, Jerry, have had far less intense experiences in the farmhouse, including the door banging in the front hall, sounds of people talking in another room, the sound of footsteps accompanied by a door opening in another room, and her husband's chair vibrating in the study. The only things that were ever able, or sorry, the only things that were ever visible to them were a blue light that Norma saw shoot across the bedroom, and her husband once thought he saw a fog in the home. Norma stressed that she was always she always looks at things from a scientific standpoint and that she never jumped to conclusions over any of these minor experiences in the home. Since the movie's release, Norma has endured a ongoing barrage of trespassers and onlookers. To fight back, she spent months gathering evidence to disprove both Andrea Perrin's story and the movie. So during Norma's confession with Andrea, she states that a minister and his wife who had lived in the home never spoke of experiencing anything paranormal. The real Lorraine Warren attempted to attribute this to the fact that he was a minister and would not want to reveal such information. The actors who played the Warrens were strongly affected by the Perrin case and its dramatization. Just like their real-life counterparts, and not just because it spawned a successful film franchise whose universe is still growing today, no, there were some things that happened during this production of The Conjuring that were too creepy to be coincidence. Vera Farmiga, for example, portrayed Lorraine Warren, who uh, professed herself to be a clairvoyant medium. Lorraine's, uh, Lorraine's intrinsic, whatever, it's good, it's fine, connection <laughs> to the spiritual world seems to have rubbed off on the actress who portrayed her because Farmiga found herself mysteriously and repeatedly waking up between 3 and 4 in the morning. Oh, those asses. I'm like, oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Now I can't sleep. 
and wake up at this hour every day. <laughs> uh, so that would be annoying. Mm -hmm. Oh, fun. <laughs> It's giant enough to note that this time frame is commonly known as the witching hour or devil's hour, a time of night associated with heightened supernatural activity due, the, due to the belief that witches, ghosts, demons, and the like reach their greatest power during this window and that the line between life and death, physical and supernatural, is at its thinnest. But it gets even creepier than that. In this particular film, the specific time window in which the witch character died was during the witching hour. Farmiga was so shaken by the experience that uh, it was she who pointed out to the director the uncanniness of this connection. The actress's sleep troubles persisted even after the movie wrapped. In addition to sleep disturbances, Farmiga also dealt with mysterious claw marks that seemed to follow her wherever she went, even transcending both physical and digital barriers. The first time she encountered a set of three mysterious claw marks, they appeared on her computer screen, an interesting choice for a spirit to reveal itself. She had been working on her laptop and then closed it normally to take a phone call about being in The Conjuring, a phone call in which she expressed both her interest in the project and her desire to have Patrick Wilson play the part of her husband, saying that if he was in it, she was in. She, When she opened her laptop again, she found three diagonal digital claw marks descending from right to left. Later on set, she again discovered three claw marks, but this time they cropped up much closer to home. The marks now appeared on her thigh. That was the last time they showed up, thankfully, and Farmiga did admit that the claw marks that appeared on her computer were slightly different, a little thicker from that from those that appeared on her leg, but maybe all that means is that there wasn't one supernatural force after her, but two. Joey King, the actress playing Christine, one of the five Perrin daughters, also appeared Oh, sorry. Also, apparently ended up covering covered in strange bruises after just a couple weeks of shooting. Despite not being involved in any of her character's stunts, Patrick Wilson revealed in an interview that there was no rational explanation for why a child would sustain such marks on set, as the production was very strict about not putting the children in physical danger for stunts or any other reason, and King never had a bruising problem before or since. One of the craziest parts about this occurrence is that while she wouldn't have encountered any sort of physical danger on set that would have resulted in the bruises, there was a bit of a connection between these marks and the conjuring in the film itself. Um, sorry, in the film itself, Christine's mother, Carolyn, does wake up with bruises, establishing the method that the spirit world uses to reach into the physical world. It definitely makes us wonder whether King's bruises had an otherworldly, even malevolent source. This, uh, the set and props were so realistic that when the actual Perrin family visited the set, Cindy, the second youngest daughter, who had just been, who had just who had been just a child at the time wow, of the set's events, but was middle-aged at the time of the visit, freaked out upon seeing the production with Bathsheba. She ran over to Patrick Wilson and clung to him in fear. This reaction is so bizarre, not because it's supernatural, but because it was natural for Cindy. Even decades later, the memory of the witch that she had, count had encountered was so firmly embedded in her mind that it caused a primal reaction. Though all the members of the family had experienced the events and apparitions differently, Cindy said that the witch looked just like what she had seen. When the family visited the set on, uh, of the film, one of the original Perrin girls told co-writer Chad Hayes with conviction that she had a feeling something bad was going to happen that day. Later that day, to the shock of the 
production and family alike, the girl's now elderly mother fell and broke her hip so seriously that they had to operate and replace it that day. The family got the phone call right after the incident with Cindy and the witch. When the rest of the family left the set to tend to their mother, the poor woman's first reaction was that it was Bathsheba trying to do something to her. Coincidence or not, she was the only one who hadn't come to visit the set, and the family had all had, all had to leave to attend to her. She had also been the one who appeared to get the brunt of the witch's wrath. The husband even said that he had a good experience that he had good experiences with the presence in their house, while his wife felt so tortured that she insisted they leave. While her accident didn't happen on set, it alarmed everyone involved, especially those that heard the daughter's prediction. And if Bathsheba's vendetta really had been focused primarily on the mom, perhaps the witch was still able to send a message even over a distance. Creepy. Creepy. The next time you watch The Conjuring, you know, got a little knowledge into the history. So everybody had fucking experienced something just trying to fucking film that movie. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist. So, hey, oh God, why y'all do it? It's like the fucking exorcism. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to follow us on social media, check out our link tree at the Creep Show Chronicles. You can also find all of our listening listening platforms there as well. For future recommendations, you can email us at thecreepshow18 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Creep Show. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Creep Show Chronicles. Follow us on social media and share our show so we can grow our audience.